Our meditation for this 22nd Sunday after Trinity is on our Gospel reading. The Gospel of St. Matthew, the 18th chapter, beginning in the 21st verse. Hear the word of our Lord. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused, and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Now, grace mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When I first got out of seminary, I attended a church service where a difficult passage was read from the lectionary. You know, one of those offensive passages that makes modern ears chafe. If I recall correctly, it was from 1 Timothy chapter 2, when St. Paul refuses the teaching and pastoral office to women. The lector read it out loud, and then as soon as we said, thanks be to God, everyone on the chancel immediately rushed to the gospel reading to preempt any reaction or thought on the stark things the apostle teaches. Of course, 1 Timothy 2 was not the subject of the sermon that day. They were clearly afraid of angering the women in the congregation. But it was then that I made a promise to always preach on the harder, more harsh passages in the lectionary when they come my way. And today, as with every week, I am bound by that promise to preach on our gospel text, one of the hardest of them all. I will not be describing the parable to you. We have heard it a million times before. The raw value of the 10,000 talents in today's money. How this represents how much we have been forgiven. A debt that we could never repay. The servant refuses to forgive a comparably small debt, but that doesn't mean it was actually small. We have heard in endless sermons here that a refusal to forgive is like drinking poison and thinking that you hurt your enemy this way. 
we have all heard these things explained ad nauseum from various pastors, most likely because they want to dance around the last verse. But today, we are going to be honing in on the last verse and going there with all the harsh truth that it gives us. It seems to me, at least, that if someone says a harsh truth to us, then that is because it is an important truth. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Our Lord Jesus makes it clear, very clear, that if you refuse to forgive your brother, you are damned. The weight of your debt to God, all your sins for which Christ died, is reinstated if you are unforgiving. And you will be cast into outer darkness for all eternity, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Even if you think you are a believer. Yes, this is truly what our Lord Jesus is saying. But why? There is a distinct sense of, how dare you? How dare you take the forgiveness God gave you and then turn around and condemn your brother? How dare you be unmerciful when God was so merciful to you? How dare you show no compassion when so much compassion was shown to you? The sheer gall of a man who forgets the words of St. Paul, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, the complete lack of awareness of someone who forgets to imitate Christ and how that means having mercy the same way Jesus does. This merits complete and utter condemnation from God. So if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven anymore. But then the theologians have to have their say, ah, but what about sola fide? Salvation is a matter of faith, is it not? Clearly, what damns the unforgiving man is not that he was not forgiving. That's just like any other sin. No, the real damnation here comes from how the wicked servant must surely have forgotten that he was forgiven. That's a lack of faith in the gospel. Perhaps. But Jesus does not say that. It could very well be that the unforgiving servant in the parable was motivated by a desire to pay back what he thought he still owed, as though the memory of his master releasing all that debt just fell out of his brain and dropped onto the floor, sure. But the text does not say that. The text says, if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven anymore. The text says that God will punish you eternally if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Christ does not dwell on the motivations of the unforgiving servant. He dwells instead on you, O believer. He addresses you. He is making this requirement on you, and whether we refuse to forgive because we forget that we were forgiven, whether it is because we have made an idol out of our pain, whether it is because we have violated every commandment in earnestly desiring revenge, the motivations do not matter. All of these motivations are disqualifying for salvation because to refuse to forgive your brother disqualifies you from salvation. End of story, period. So forgive your brother from your heart, too, not just in declaration. So now comes the fun part. Now comes the flood of excuses 
from Christians with a chip on their shoulder doing their best to excuse their refusal to forgive. Whenever I hear this, all I hear is a chorus of the damned, all hoping that Jesus will hear their excuses for disobedience and let them in, asking Christ to contradict his word so they don't have to do what he said. Let's look at the most common ways people object. How about the sorry gambit? I will not forgive, because they did not come to me and repent. This one is the most popular. The idea is that we ought not forgive someone unless they come and ask for it. Maybe get on their knees a little. Maybe beg. People enjoy this objection because withholding forgiveness for this reason makes us feel superior to the people who sinned against us. We feel like the wrong done against us gives us status over them, to the point that even if they did apologize and grovel before us, we still wouldn't forgive. We want them humbled, knocked down a peg. But you are told to imitate Christ, beloved. You are to be the humble one here. Christ forgave his enemies even when they did not and never would come to him for forgiveness. We should never forget that on the cross, hearing those mocking him, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 23, verse 34. If someone doesn't say, I'm sorry, that does not mean you are free from the obligation to forgive. But then we come to the appeal to severity. I will not forgive because what they did was really, really bad. This is the objection we don't want to verbalize, but it's the one we all try to hold close to our chest. She took my kids away from me. They molested me. We were penniless when he left me for that other woman, and so on and so forth, a cavalcade of people nursing their harm, guarded against forgiveness because that would risk further pain. But that is your hundred denarii, beloved. You owed God 10,000 talents. Jesus volunteered to die for our sins because each and every one of us has failed God enough to be damned, and there is nothing we could do about it. Everyone has, with zero exceptions, sinned enough to merit eternal damnation. And while God saw fit to forgive us of our infinite sins, here we are presuming that we can judge more harshly than he does. Here we are imagining that what others have done to us is worse than what we have done against God. But imagine for a second if God acted that way towards you. Imagine the horror on Judgment Day if you went to the throne of God and Christ said, Yes, I know this one believed in me in penitent faith, but what he did was just too darned bad. Away with him. Time for him to suffer in eternal hellfire. You do not want that to happen to you, right? And so we remember the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. If you want to be recognized as forgiven on Judgment Day, then forgive. And then finally, though, we have the Cain presumption. Jesus says, forgive your brother. This individual is not my brother in Christ, so I am under no obligations here, even if he says he's a Christian. Ah, uh, yes, this is a fun one. 
When a Christian decides he doesn't want to forgive someone, suddenly he declares himself Pope, excommunicates the offender from all of Christendom, and then proclaims there's no issue here with his lack of mercy. But what constitutes a brother or sister in Christ? Easy. Baptism. In your baptism, you are united to Christ, and thus united to everyone else who is baptized into Christ. Galatians 3, verses 27 and 28. If they have some goofy heterodox beliefs, that doesn't automatically separate them from Christ's body here on earth. If they did something bad, then they're a Christian that is in sin, and we are told to pray for their repentance and to forgive them. Someone might ask, what if they aren't even a believer? What if the offender is a Muslim or an atheist or something? I will respond with a question of my own. The atonement, was it limited or was it not? Was the atonement only for the elect? How about this? Is there an objective universal justification? If you are a Bible-believing Lutheran, then you will agree that Christ indeed died for the sins of the entire world, all of humanity, that forgiveness is extended to everyone, whether they believe or not. Now, this does not mean there is reconciling between God and non-believers, as the apprehension of the not-guilty status won by Jesus is by faith. Reconciliation is not required, but forgiveness is. Be like Jesus and forgive. Besides, he has commanded us to love our enemies, and unbelievers most certainly are our enemies. Forgiveness is definitely part of loving your enemies. As you can see, this is one of the hardest commandments Christ has given to us. We don't want to forgive, because we know that the person who harmed us probably does not care that they harmed us. We don't want to forgive because we want to hold on to the superiority we feel over them, take that away, and we are just humiliated and brought low. We don't want to forgive. We want things to be made right, darn it, and we don't feel like there will ever be justice if we let go of any right to vengeance. I have had my life ruthlessly attacked by people who hate me. I have had my livelihood attacked and destroyed by people against whom I never even spoke a word. I have been slandered by people that I never slandered. I have been treated like trash and stabbed in the back by people who were supposed to support me. Surprisingly, the number of times I have had to pick the pieces of my life back together after these malicious actors blew everything up, almost all of them were purportedly, supposedly, Lutheran. Oh, pious Lutherans who knew quite well what they were doing was wrong and that they had no right to do it. People who knew the scriptures and violated the commands of our Lord with glee just to persecute me. I lost count at 120 who were involved with these events. I have forgiven them all and will not repay them in kind. Though I still oppose their evil and do not associate with them, they owe me nothing. I would be lying to you if I said this was not painful, not holding their ugly, sneaky malice against them anymore. 
letting go of that meant having to throw aside my pride and move on without ever having the satisfaction of seeing justice done by my hand. Yes, beloved, oftentimes this act that Jesus commands us is excruciating and will make us miserable, even if only for a time. But once we have started to breathe fresh air again, even then emotions will spike and we remember all the awful things done to us and we have to remind ourselves to forgive once more. Truly, as St. Paul tells us flatly in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But we have to go a step further and become living martyrs by freely forgiving all who persecute us. If you do as I have done, expect tears. Expect it to hurt. Now all that said, I have never been happier in my life to have done that. Why? Because, beloved, our Lord has given me promises. These promises extend to us a reassurance that God sees us and does not leave us alone in the pain we undergo. He wants us to trust him to do as he says he will, and the act of forgiveness is just that, an act of trust. This great burden that Christ has laid upon our shoulders feels a lot lighter once we realize that he shouldered the burden of forgiving all of us. But he does not hold the atonement and the suffering he went through for us over our heads. With our Lord Jesus, all is mercy, all is grace. He does not lay a commandment that only he, the eternal and omnipotent God, could do and then accuse us for our weaknesses. Instead, he knows our weaknesses, Hebrews 4.15, and he has promised us that he will take care of things. Some withhold forgiveness because there is a fear that this would open a wound and keep us in further pain. But God has promised to wipe away every tear, Revelation 21 verse 4. Some withhold forgiveness because there is a fear that injustice will reign. But God has promised to take vengeance on our behalf. He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, Romans 12 verse 19. Some withhold forgiveness because it means taking it on the chin, accepting that wrong has been done to us. But God has promised to restore everything to the way it should be, and that includes our dignity, station, and strength, Isaiah 40 verse 31 and Acts 3 verse 21. It becomes eminently easier for me to not seek revenge when I know that God can punish my enemies far worse than I ever could. If they know what's good for them, they will repent and seek his mercy. It becomes infinitely easier to accept that injustice has been done to me when I trust the great restorer who can magnify my ministry and bring me to greater prominence than those who attacked me. It is child's play to forgive after God heals the damage done, and since he has promised to do so, we must obey Christ's command and hold on to what he has told us he will do. To think that the unforgiving servant 
could have simply went to his master with his concerns over the other servant. He could have brought it up to him saying, My master, this man owes me 100 denarii, and I know you forgave me the debt I owed you, but I have nothing. I release this man from his debt to me, but I ask for help for my family's sake. The servant's master was clearly rich beyond measure, gracious beyond human comprehension. Of course, he would have taken care of the poor servant. Jesus is telling us to trust him as we forgive those who trespass against us, precisely because he is the best master we could ever ask for, and he makes things right. Now, a matter of wisdom, forgiveness means letting go of a debt. You release the offender from owing you for their trespass. That does not mean reconciliation. Reconciliation may be a fruit of forgiveness, but it is not required. If a man flies into an insensible rage and beats you silly, even after you have forgiven him, you are under no requirement to be his friend. You do not have to be best friends with people that hurt you that cannot be trusted to not harm you. And nor does this mean that your enemy has no debt to society. Somebody who murders your spouse or runs you over with his car must still make things right according to the state, as scripture has declared in Romans 13. There is a matter of justice. And those who have power in this world are under a divine requirement to meet it out. However, that is their job, not mine. It is not on me to take vengeance for myself, and even if I should never see the satisfaction of wrath rained down on those who hate me, I can rest easy knowing that God will make things right, whether by the state, whether by something that happens in this world or something in the next. We should joyfully forgive. We should freely forgive. Yes, in a sense, our salvation depends on it. Because if we do not forgive, we are not holding true faith in the God that has made so many precious promises to us. But let us rejoice that we have a God who has said that we do this precisely because he is so good to us. Precisely because of those amazing, generous promises. Let us walk forward in faith, doing so gladly. Now the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.